Florida State leaving the ACC? Seems like it's just a matter of time. You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On College Football. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your daily source to stay up to date with the biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet Earth, realignment, transfer portal, coaching carousel. We've got you covered right here all year round. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today, and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. The ACC and Florida State are in negotiations. Will Auburn make a year two leap? And Steve Sarkeesian's got a new contract all coming up on today's show. Let's start with the Seminoles. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Remember that time that realignment settled down and everything was just kind of chill and just going along and it was back to normal, just portal and NIL is the craziness in college football. I, I don't think we're entering that space at all. I think we're going back into the crazy realignment mess because the ACC, according to On3 and Florida State, have been in negotiations. There is a range for what it could cost Florida State to get out of the ACC, to break the grant of rights. And there's all sorts of legalese in these reports as it pertains to what is going on between these two entities here. I will try and simplify it as best I can here so that we don't all have to try to become internet lawyers just to understand what is happening here with the Seminoles. So the ACC is saying, hey, you signed this grant of rights and you have to face a penalty. And Florida State is trying to say, well, a penalty would amount to lost media rights revenue we get from breaking the grant of rights, blah, 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 blah. That's where they kind of stand. And the starting point when Florida State first looked at, you know, what it was going to cost to get out of the ACC deal was $573 million. If the judge were to rule completely in their favor, then it would cost them $0 to get out of the grant of rights because they would think that they would be arguing successfully. I don't know that that's going to hold, but I'm not a lawyer. They'd be arguing that, you know, we are, go we are not going to be a part of this deal. We're not going to get any money. And that's the penalty. So, if the number comes down to two, three hundred million dollars, Florida State's involvement with the private equity side of things and outside money and just an overall desire to get out of the Atlantic Coast Conference is going to result in them leaving that league. That is where everything is trending right now because Florida State doesn't want to be there and the ACC which has been adamant about the grant of rights and we don't want anyone to leave. You never want anybody to leave. Look at what happened to the Pac-12. Look at what almost happened to the Big 12 when Texas and Oklahoma left. It's an unsettling situation because one move can cause other moves. And you know what we've never seen? We've never seen a major conference realignment move with just the one team. You, you have not seen a power conference move with just one. It almost happened with Colorado going Pac-12 to Big 12 and everyone else stayed behind, but they rejected the Apple deal and said, nope, that's not good enough. So we're going to go with uh, Colorado here. Well, that happened, of course, after Oregon and Washington went to the Big 10 and they followed along. But that's my point. The dominoes always get falling. The snowball always starts building once one team moves. So if Florida State finds a way out, what's to stop Clemson, Miami, and North Carolina from saying, 
well, we don't really need to be here anymore either. And we don't want to be here. We don't want to be left behind. We want to be at the major table. We want to be at the big kids table. We want to be at the grown-ups table, not the little kids table. And I understand where they're coming from. On the football side of things, I don't know that it makes the most sense in the world. In fact, I don't think it makes the most sense in any way if you're just talking about access to the playoff. Because if conference champions are going to have automatic berths, well, being a big fish in a small pond is a pretty good setup if you're Florida State with Mike Norvell, who's got a new contract and I think is a very good football coach. So for Florida State, if they come down to settle, they could be playing college football in a different league come 2024 than the ACC. Because these are negotiations where the ACC is starting to come to the middle of the table, according to reports, and and they're starting to recognize, "Mm, we might not have all of the chips stacked in our favor here. We might not have the hand we want to play. We've got, you know, a a three-card run, but we don't have a full-on straight just yet. I'm not a poker player, but I hope that analogy came out pretty well. So if the ACC here in February, it's, I need to remind everybody of that, it's still February, and and they're already coming to the table and saying, "Well, let's talk these things out. Let, let's let's figure out what's fair, what's right." So, if the line of of where, or if the range rather of where the the payout could be for Florida State is somewhere between zero and five hundred seventy three million, let's say they landed on. 300 million. Well, the ACC media deal on average pays about $36 million per school per year over the course of its entire contract. Could be maybe closer to 40 as, you know, ratings go up and incentives. I don't know all the fine details, but $36 million is is about the number. If they were to find their way into, I don't know, the Big Ten, for instance, if the Big Ten wanted to decide to expand South, which is a whole other conversation that may be worth exploring here on the show one day. If they were to start making the range of, you know, $90 million a year or $80 million or 70 if they didn't get a full share, let's just say they were able to at least double it. If you were getting $35 million, $36 million more per year in media rights, just, just do a simple math calculation on how long it takes to pay that off. And, and even if that number and that timeline comes out to, well, they'd have to be in the conference for this many years for it to be worth it, or they would only break even before these things get negotiated again. Florida State is worried not just about the dollar figures, but the pedigree of being in the ACC. They want to be a power player. They want to be in the power too. They don't really care what happens to the ACC. They don't care what's going to happen within the structure of the Atlantic Coast Conference. They just want to be in a conference that is having its own committee get together to decide how to figure out, you know, the future of college athletics, the playoff, media rights, NIL, more expansion, college basketball and March Madness and everything. That's where they want to be. And so whatever financial calculation you look at, if Florida State were to go to the SEC or Big Ten and get a full media rights share, well, they would start working to pay off that debt, which they're raising a bunch of money for to do anyway, as has been reported on several occasions. They would suddenly be able to make that work financially, and then they would be in a position 
to where they're not looking at, you know, taking on a huge loss or running up massive amounts of debt within their athletic department, which can fuel moves. You look at what happened at UCLA, for instance, their athletic department is not in a great spot. In Arizona, they have a new athletic director there in Tucson, partially because the old athletic director, well, ran a big old deficit of a couple hundred million dollars. And so if you can avoid those situations, which are which are messy, not fun to deal with, and they don't look good for your school and they don't help your athletic department compete, and you can get into one of the power two conferences, yeah, you take that option. And and the ACC being willing to just talk about compromises already feels like the snowball is mounting in favor of the Seminoles to find a way out of the ACC. That would trigger a conference-wide collapse because other schools would certainly look to hop on board and you could see a power two separation like we have not yet seen, even though we've already seen quite a bit, it could get even worse is what I'm saying. And it could happen a lot sooner than you think. This is absolutely the biggest story in college football right now. Hence why it leads today's show. Do you know what's happening down at Auburn? They're trying to get better at Auburn. Are they actually getting better at Auburn? We'll talk about that after we talk about FanDuel, of course, because you can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. That's a pretty good deal. You can bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, same game parlays, exclusive props, and more, and they've got college football. You can bet individual games like Ohio State at Oregon, or Michigan at Washington in a national championship rematch, amongst many others, LSU against USC at a neutral site game in Las Vegas. I might be there this fall. Uh, Let me know if you're going to as well, because that could be a very fun time. But they've got everything you need over at FanDuel. Go check them out. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Joining me here on Locked On College Football, the boss man at the network, we call him Zach Blackerby, his name. Hosting Locked On Auburn is indeed his game. Let's get into it, Zach, because I want to know, the people want to know, has Auburn done enough to be a better football team this year under Hugh Freeze? I think they'll be better. Uh, I don't know exactly what the proper expectations should be, and I think we'll learn more about that after spring because it all comes back to quarterback play i think auburn's done enough on the offensive line to take a step forward there i think they've reloaded with their defensive backfield they're gonna have a lot of those guys get drafted from a year ago and really the the glaring issue for the team a year ago was the wide receiver so what does auburn do they go out and get one of the best wide receiver classes ever two five stars two four stars and and they're going to be they're going to be talented there, just young and inexperienced but we'll see exactly what that looks like but the biggest thing is quarterback. Spencer, is Auburn going to roll with Peyton Thorne? Again, going into Auburn's bowl game against uh, Maryland, it was like, yeah, it's Peyton Thorne. He goes out there and he doesn't look good at all. He's asked about it after the game and he says, yeah, it's an open competition. So who knows? My guess is it will be Peyton Thorne, but there's some young guys on this roster. They're going to say, hold up. Let me get a shot. Their win total, according to our friends at FanDuel, is seven and a half. 
are they good enough to go over that? I, I mean, last year was a, a six and six regular season, got to a bowl game, not a bad first year for Hugh Freeze and company, but Vegas at least expects them to be a little bit better by setting that line at seven and a half. Are they good enough to go over and be an eight, nine win team? Because you start talking nine wins in the SEC, you start talking at large uh, college football playoff berth. Yeah, uh, I think they are good enough. And I don't know if it all has to do with Auburn necessarily their schedule i mean we're in this new era of the sec and auburn one of many teams in the sec west benefits now from these divisions going away from the s within the sec all these former sec east teams they don't like get to beat up on each other anymore and the sec west is like the top five teams with the exception of georgia every year they're all in the west and so now auburn they don't play lsu this year they don't play either of the mississippi schools this year it's bizarre it's very, very strange. So I think Auburn's schedule is a lot more manageable. I mean, here's Auburn's first five games, Spencer. They're all at home. They're all at home. Five Al- five straight games at home to begin the year. Not four, but five. Alabama A&M, Cal, New Mexico, Arkansas. But you feel good about all four of those if you're Auburn. And then you host Oklahoma. It's going to be Oklahoma's first road game in the SEC. There's going to be a lot of emotions, a lot of storylines going into that yep. game. So those are your first five and I think all of those are winnable. And just to be clear for the listeners and viewers out there, he did not list Alabama and Texas A&M as two schools to begin the schedule, but rather Alabama A&M, the university, to begin the year. I just want to clear up any confusion. Zach sure. is not coming on here with the blistering hot take that Alabama and A&M are very winnable games and that the Iron Bowl has suddenly been moved uh, to week one. But I want to jump back to the quarterbacks for a moment because yeah, Peyton sure. Thorne, look, when he had a great team around him, when he had a great running game at Michigan State, that was an 11-2 and Michigan State team. It has not been as productive in terms of putting up numbers in the left column. That'd be the, the wins column, of course, since he's been a quarterback. Does Auburn have enough around him to get him back to that level? I think so. The running game's going to be there. Auburn returns all of their running backs from a year ago. Jarquez Hunter could have been a draft pick. He chooses to come back. And so this is an Auburn team that was one of the best rushing attacks in the conference a year ago. I believe they were fourth in the SEC in average rushing yards per game. You take that, especially with the subpar here that Auburn had. And they ran less snaps than pretty much everybody that they played. So, yeah, you certainly take that if you're the Auburn Tigers. The question is, okay, can Peyton Thorne, who was surprisingly good with his feet, yeah, can he can he get these other guys involved in the passing game? I think a few things are at play here. One, just overall talent and ability. Auburn has more talent at wide receiver going into this season than last year, really any year going into a season for the last decade. I mean, going out and getting a guy like Cam Coleman, Auburn's never had a guy like Cam Coleman, the five-star guy who's an early enrollee. He's going to be... He's going, to be a, uh, he's going to be a problem for opposing defenses. The question is, is he a problem day one for opposing defenses? How quick can these 17-slash-18-year-olds adjust to the college game? Because Perry Thompson, the other five-star, the former Alabama commit, he's not enrolling till the summer. And so, you know, it, he, I think you'd feel a little bit better if he was going through spring. I, I personally think going through spring is extremely important and, and something that's probably not discussed enough. But I think the talent's there to help Peyton Thorne. It's just, is the experience there? And I'm not sure. 
I think that's an interesting predicament for, for the coaching staff because year two, you know, in the old school world of college football, Zach, year two was, okay, you just need to show some progress. You just sure. need to move forward. But do you feel like there's added pressure with the way that, that Auburn has utilized the portal more so in, in 2023 in that cycle than they have in the 2024 cycle, according to the 24-7 sports transfer rankings? But what is the pressure situation on Hugh Freeze? How was year one received? And are these expectations going into year two? It should be a borderline SEC contender, but not in that top tier just yet. I mean, I think the hire of Hugh Freeze since day one at Auburn has been a little polarizing. I mean, there, there was controversy that came with that hire. And so there's always going to be sections of every fan base that he coaches for for the rest of his career that aren't going to like him no matter what he does. He did come out and say, you know, I'm not sure that I did a good enough job year one because he was so focused on talent acquisition. Didn't call plays in a lot of these games. He will be the play caller moving forward, which I think is huge. I think it's going to be crucial for Peyton. It's also very rare. You don't see that in college football a lot nowadays. Ryan Day isn't doing that anymore. Chip Kelly's not a head coach. You don't have a lot of head coaches in college football that are going to call plays. Yeah, and and they should. I mean, there's a reason they got to that point. I think that's why you're going to see all of these off-field hires become more and more important for these teams. And I think Hugh Freeze has knocked it out of the park with some of these off-field recruiting staff hires that – aren't big names, but their their track records are really, really impressive. They brought in Will Redmond from LSU, who's going to be Auburn's GM, and he was the guy who went out and got that Jane Daniels guy and was a big part of scouting him. And uh, you know when Brian Kelly showed up, they had like less than 40 scholarship players on the roster. So, I mean, guys like that I think are going to help shoulder the load that Hugh Freeze was carrying from a recruiting standpoint and a talent acquisition standpoint. So it's going to open up some time for him to devote to calling plays and creating the game plans and things like that. So that may be the most underrated aspect of everything that we've talked about today. You've talked about some of the newcomers they'll have or key figures offensively, but what about the defensive side of the ball? Are there any transfers or 2024 high school recruits or maybe 2023 guys that you think are poised to pop? Who are the names that that have to stand out for Auburn to push to go over that seven and a half win total this year on defense? Yeah, I'll highlight a couple of second year players, specifically Keldrick Falk. He earned that fifth star late in the recruiting cycle when he went down to the rivals camp and Uh, He was exceptional. He's going to be a big part of what Auburn needs to do regarding rushing the passer from the defensive end spot. Also, Auburn retained their linebacking room, which over the course of last season became very, very good. Eugene Asante, the former UNC Tar Heel, um, he chose to come back despite, you know, getting some interest from other places. And so I I think... I think those two guys are going to be the key part of your defense. I think Kay and Lee, I think Kay and Lee is a future NFL star he, uh, he was an Ohio State commit. Auburn flipped him. One of the one of the main guys that Hugh Freeze went out and made a, a big push for late in that 2023 cycle. And so Kay and Lee at corner, uh, I, I think that's certainly a guy to watch on defense too. Do you have an early win prediction total yet for, for Auburn? You got the schedule. You got the offseason moves that have mostly been made. Where do you expect them to be? I think our friends at FanDuel nailed it because depending on the day, I'll either say seven and five or eight and four. <laughs> so uh, I think they nailed it. Um, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling in a good mood today, so I'll say eight and four. If I didn't know any better, I'd say that there were people over at FanDuel paid to get that sort of stuff right, and they have done that once again. Zach Blackerby locked on Auburn. Looks like you got a final thought for me right there. 
Well, I was just saying FanDuel, our friends at FanDuel, they give away money like crazy. Bet $5 and you get 150 for free. Like, I, I don't know what they're doing over there. Well, they're setting appropriate lines. That's exactly what they're doing. Zach Blackerby locked on Auburn. His inaugural appearance here on Locked On College Football. Thanks so much for coming by. Thanks, buddy. Texas is in the SEC. Yeah, Texas and Auburn are in the same conference. I know, Zach's just as surprised as I am. And they've done something very, very smart. First things first, today's episode of Locked On College Football is brought to you by LinkedIn. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board, folks. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals. That's billion with a B, and it's the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire, but they are there for you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Two and a half million small businesses are already doing so. LinkedIn.com slash college. That's LinkedIn.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Texas extends Steve Sarkeesian. Is that the right move? Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely the right move. He is now a very wealthy man. I think he was before, but he is going to be for the foreseeable future. Chris Gordy locked on SEC is here. Why? Because Texas is in the SEC with teams like Alabama and Georgia and Florida and Tennessee and Texas is in there. I think this is the right move for two reasons. Number one, not that Sarkeesian would have been shopping his name around. He's got everything he needs to win at Texas. You got money, you got brand, you got recruiting, you got everything that, that you need there as the head coach of the Longhorns. But you solidify your commitment to a guy that has shown he is at his best as a coach in his career as the head man for the University of Texas. And going into the SEC, it's not a conference where you can afford to have any instability, any frustration, any discontent on the coaching side of things. I think this is a stable long-term investment and one that I think will continue to pay off for the Longhorns. Yeah, it's one that they, that needed to happen. Um, let's be real. Alabama did call Sark when they were calling around. They called Dan Lanning. They called uh, Mike Norvell. They called Sark. And, you know, just... They, they didn't offer him the job, but it was preliminary. Hey, would you be interested? And I think Sark a year ago would have been, I think, a Sark coming off a year where he made the playoff and has a lot of pieces coming back, including his quarterback, Quinn Ewers, looked at and kind of said, hey, Texas, you're going to take care of me? And Chris Del Conte said, we'll take care of you. So it was kind of this like mutual thing like, hey, perfect timing for Nick Saban to retire because I kind of use that and give flirty eyes at, you know, at Alabama and go, hey, I might leave, but – no, it's good timing, especially with Texas coming to the SEC. I actually thought it was funny because I was talking to a friend about this a few months ago when we were looking at Sark's salary. I was like, holy crap, like he's one of the more underpaid coaches in, in college football. And if you think about it, he was a guy that obviously had tried his hand, you know, at the NFL and, uh, you know, kind of had his redemption towards the OC at Alabama under Saban and was running good offenses. I kind of had his pick of the litter. Like he could have waited for the next big job to come along, but Texas opened up at the right time. They moved on from Tom Herman and brought him in, but it was also a little hesitancy on Texas. Like, Hey, it's a big name, but what if this doesn't work? You know, we need to have an out here. And so I think that's why the, he was only making what just over 5 million last year. This doubles him. He's now up to 10 million. And this puts him in the category with the likes of, 
you know, the Ryan Days and, and that sort of thing, and especially in the SEC. Kirby Smart's the highest paid. Nick Saban was. He retired. But you got Brian Kelly just a hair under $10 million. Kind of puts him right in, in on par with those with those other coaches. There were only eight college football coaches making $10 million or more in annual salary. Sarkeesian's exact number for this upcoming season will be $10.3 million. And 24-7 Sports has a layout of the highest paid coaches in college football. But it's not a coincidence that two of the guys on this list are player or not are coaches rather that you mentioned as being tied to the Alabama job where at least a phone call was made. Mike Norvell at Florida State, big time raise. And the Seminoles, as I talked about earlier, are trying to get out of the ACC, but they're going to have their head coach no matter where they go. You've got Kirby Smart in there. Brian Kelly is at 9.9 million. Why don't we just call it 10 and, you know, say say that that's good enough and such. But Sarkeesian's contract makes him one of the highest paid coaches in all of college football. And going into the SEC, yeah, the Alabama job could have been uh, appealing. There wasn't another clear target there, but certainly Alabama was going to be that job. DeBoer is also making about $10 million a year with the Crimson Tide in his first year. I think this, this shows a level of respect to Steve Sarkeesian for the job that he has done because Texas is a great job. You've got money, you've got resources, you've got a recruiting base, you've got a brand, you've got passion, you've got support, you've got what you need there. But something that separates it from the other high-profile jobs in college football is you've got pressure. You have got a desire, a burning, not a desire, a need. You've got a need to win in Austin, Texas. That's the sense that I get as someone who Granted, does not live in Austin, but that's the feeling around that program is they need to win and they feel Sark is is that sort of guy. He looks to be that sort of guy. And the past two coaching hires, past three really haven't worked out as well for Texas and the need hasn't been there. They haven't delivered a season like the one that Steve Sarkeesian just did at Texas. And I think as they go into the SEC, they feel like he's a guy who senses, okay, we want to win national championships here. That's the standard. And Sark, as the head coach, the play caller, a good recruiter, can get them to that sort of level. Well, the the reality, too, is, okay, the, maybe the win totals haven't been all that great since he's been there, right? I mean, the, this past year was his first big year break in 30. It was 5-7 and seven and then 8-5, and five, and then this year they get to double-digit wins and, and make the playoff. Um, the only thing that's a little concerning with it is their two losses last year, to neutral field against Oklahoma and, of course, the Sugar Bowl to Washington, they were favored in both of those. I mean, Texas was – they were – considered a team that could go undefeated last year and win the whole thing. So they fell short a little bit, but I think what's what's interesting, and it's funny, you were running through some of the big-name coaches, and it got me thinking, like, Saban was the highest at $11 million. Don't forget, Mel Tucker was in that $10 million a year category <laughs> in Michigan State before that <laughs> debacle happened. But yeah. to me, the, the bigger story is, look at the other coaches in the SEC, the next tier. And this is where I put Josh Heupel, Mark Stoops, Lane Kiffin, they're all in the nine million a year range. So like that's what like do you really if you're Texas, you really want to be paying your guy five million and these other dudes in the SEC going seven and five and you know six and six or making almost double what you're making. So th- it was incumbent on Texas and look, there's no shortage of money in Austin. They got all the money in the world. So uh it was incumbent on them to to give Sark that raise, keep him happy. And the other thing is too, I talk about the win totals. Yeah, it wasn't great the first two years, but look at what he's done in recruiting the last three years. That's where he's, you know, buttering his toast. It's been top 10 recruiting classes each of the last couple of years. Got the biggest recruit in recent history in Arch Manning, who's waiting in the wings behind Quinn Ewers. So, um, 
you're paying Sark for that. Keep recruiting at, a, at, a, at an all-time all level and then keep, you know, getting this win total increase. And let's make some more noise in the playoff and possibly win a championship. And if he does that, he'll be at Texas for a long time. And this has been a really well-timed situation, I think, for Texas because Alabama, you know, inquired uh, about Steve Sarkeesian. I don't know that the talks ever got really uh, any serious, or I can't even confirm personally if Steve Sarkeesian picked up the phone. I imagine that that he did, but something that he had to consider and, and might have changed the landscape if things were different is that Quinn Ewers decided to come back. Didn't go to the NFL draft, said, no, I'm I'm coming back. I want to go win a national championship here, compete at that sort of level. And they're capable of doing so. They've had a great transfer portal this offseason. I like what they have done on the offensive side of the ball. Certainly defense with Sark teams is always going to be the biggest question. You know, they couldn't get stops early in that game. They struggled in the secondary against Washington in, in the Sugar Bowl semifinal game. But this timing just worked out because Ewers was coming back. Imagine if Quinn Ewers was departing. Imagine yeah. a world in which Arch Manning said, no, I don't want to wait any longer. Would Steve Sarkeesian still have said Texas is the spot? I think part of the reason that he has decided Austin is the place he wants to establish himself as being worthy of that $10 million plus a year as a head coach in college football is he knows I got to strike while the iron is hot. I've got a veteran Heisman caliber quarterback in Quinn Ewers. Alabama is undergoing a transition with their first year head coach. This is going to be as open of a season as we can remember in college football, just because Alabama isn't going to be an obstacle for everyone to go through the way they always uh, they always are, at least in the first year with Kalen DeBoer. Yeah, the, the interesting part with Texas, and, and you're right, I mean, having Quinn Ewers back is huge, but the biggest thing with Quinn is he's missed games each of the last two seasons. So, uh, you know, Arch Manning is going to have to be ready to go because there's going to likely be, you know, I'd say he's going to have to step in and, and play in a game or maybe even start a game this year. So it's incumbent that they get him ready throughout spring ball and, and summer ball that he's ready to go for the fall because Quinn Ewers has missed time. But they lose a lot on that defense. I mean, when you talk about guys like Tavondre Sweat, Jalen Ford, and Byron Murphy, these are all dudes who are going to hear their names called very early in the NFL draft this year. And that's a lot of production, but not just production leadership. So, yes, you got Quinn Ewers, but who are the other leaders? I mean, you lose almost all your wide receivers in Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, uh, J.T. Sanders, the the, uh, the tight end. So it's just a lot of production they lose. And then keep in mind, you're going to the SEC. And, oh, by the way, you have a non-conference game where you go to Michigan in week two, the reigning national champs. I know they lose a lot, but that still is a tough place to play. So you look at a home game against Georgia, you get the neutral game against Oklahoma, a road trip at A&M that the Aggies are going to treat like their freaking Super Bowl. I don't care what A&M's record is on that game. They're going to go all out to try to win that game. So when I saw the Vegas win total was at 10 and a half, I just started leaning and going, you know what, Spencer? I think 10 and two. I think there's two losses there. Now, 10 and two in the SEC. I That's think a playoff gets, team. It gets you in the playoff. But I just think, man, th this team's not going to go 11 and one or, or 12 and oh. I just think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment going from playing the likes of Baylor and Kansas to having to play the, you know, the Georgias and the A&Ms. Chris Gordy locked on SEC. Great stuff today. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.